This is a Saddleback Church podcast. Today we kick off a brand new message series that's called The Lost Art of Friendship. And we're going to talk for five weeks about a very important subject, a subject that we all wrestle through at different levels, the subject of friendship. But I want to begin with uh, research I did this week. I read this article by a guy named David Brooks. He's written a couple books. He actually writes for the uh, New York Times. And he wrote an article, and he was talking about the power of relationships, and he did this longitudinal study. And they took a group of kids when they were like five or six years old in poverty, Uh, They took these kids, and some of them, they connected them beyond their socioeconomic class, and some of them stayed connected in their community, so they didn't have relationships outside the community. And what they discovered over a multiple decade period of time is that these children who were connected beyond their community with relationships, with people who could help them with education, with jobs, with resources that they were able to break out of the poverty that they had been in as families for decades simply because the power of relationships. Now, we know this to be true, right? People talk about this all the time. You know, you are oftentimes the sum total of the five people that you're closest to. The relationships in your life are influencing the quality of your life. And studies actually show us with the power of friendship, friendship changes us. So if we have good friendships in our lives, we actually live higher quality lives, our mental health is better, our stress goes down, uh, we actually live longer lives. Stacy and I were watching a show called The Blue Zone. How many of you guys have watched Blue Zone? Out of curiosity, great show on Netflix. What they do is they go into these blue zones where people who have lived over 100, a high concentration of centenarians. And they noticed with the centenarians that they had community, they had friendships, so their friendships was leading to their longevity. Now, if I were to ask you, does friendship make a difference in your life, you'd say yes. But at the same time, life wars against friendship. You know, if you're in the season of life that we're in, when people ask us to hang out, it's like, well, I'm at a football game, I'm driving in a car on Wednesday at six. I I really, you know, a study, another study shows that you build good friendships, and it takes about 200 hours for intimacy to form in a friendship. And I'm like, I don't know where I'm going to find 200 hours for a friendship. And life has a way of of warring against community, against friendship. And if we're honest with ourselves, when we're with the people that we love and we want to have friendship with, oftentimes we're actually on our phones, not with the person. So we're actually conversing with people who are not with us, and then we're watching other people's curated version of their friendships. So our friendships, you know, when we look at our lives, we see reality, but we see them. You ever seen that family photo where they're all wearing the same thing, they're all smiling, they look like they just went to the, you know, the orthodontist last week, their teeth are all white, and yours are crooked and yellow, and your kids are slapping each other before the picture. Anybody else have this happen? My wife's teeth are white, but mine are a little bit yellow. But the point I'm making is that reality in our relationships, there's frustration that we feel. Like we want more, but it's hard. And studies also show us, there's another book, uh, it is called Bowling Alone by Robert Putnam. And Robert Putnam talks about how over time, over the last 50 years, the number of confidants or close friends we have in our culture has shrunk. To where 20 years ago, most people would say, I have a good friend. But now today, almost half of us would say we don't have anybody emotionally that we can rely upon. So there's this emptiness. 
There's this brokenness and frustration in our relationship, yet there's something inside of us that still pushes us, compels us towards friendship. And I would say to you, the big overarching idea of where this comes from is that ultimately, the reason that that desire does not go away, the reason that that longing is still there, the reason that you keep pushing forward and maybe even after heartache and heartache upon heartache, you're still going for it with friendship is because friendship comes from God. This is so important to understand. If you are a follower of Jesus and you believe in a creator, to understand that our creator created us for friendship, it is absolutely essential to stepping into the kind of friendship that God designed us for to know that God is the creator of friendship. Now in Genesis chapter two, the Bible tells us something that we probably all would agree with that God makes a statement after creation, six days of creation, and on the sixth day he makes man, and he looks at man and he says, it's, it's not good for man to be alone. Can I get an amen after that? It's like, man, when you leave your husband alone, it's problematic. It's not good for men to be alone. But, God says, I will make a helper who is suitable for him. So I will design him to do life with Eve. Adam and Eve will do life together, and we were designed for community. We were made by God for friendship. But this is important for us not only because it's a part of design, but it's also inherent in who God is. That God has eternally existed as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in this great triune dance where the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit are enjoying friendship and fellowship, community together for all eternity. They've been experiencing this. So God makes us to do relationship with him and relationship with one another. And it's this beautiful thing that comes from within. You were made for more. You were made to belong and be in community. Now, part of the problem I find is that today there, there are very few examples of what I would want for friendship. Like if you look around the world today and you look at examples, there, there aren't a whole lot of people that you can look and be like, oh, I wanna be a friend like that person. And the question becomes, where, where do we get our example? Where do we get our model for friendship? Now I want very briefly today to look at a few examples from the teachings of Jesus, and I want us to see how Jesus befriended people. And what I'd like for us to notice first from John chapter one, verse 14, is John, the early follower of Jesus, is commenting about Jesus when he came into the world. He said this, so the word became human and made his home among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness, and we have seen his glory the glory of the Father's one and only Son. Now what John is saying is that Jesus was God in human flesh. So he left the glory and the comfort of heaven and he became one of us. He steps forward towards us for the sake of friendship so that we can know the heart of God. He moves towards humanity. And at the end of his 33 years here on planet Earth, when Jesus was with his disciples, right before he's about to be crucified, he makes a statement, and I want you to see this. He says, I no longer call you slaves because a master doesn't confide in his slaves, but now you are my friends. 
since I've told you everything the Father told me. You didn't choose me, but I chose you. Now, this is important. In fact, in your notes, if you underline that phrase or highlight it in your program digitally, that phrase that says, you didn't choose me, I chose you. And this is important because every one of us that has a relationship with God, we have a relationship with God because God initiated with us. So God took the first step. So we sing songs that say, all my life you've been faithful. All my life you've been so, so good. And then there's that one line that says, your goodness is running after me. So God in his goodness is pursuing us. He's initiating relationship. He's stepping towards us. And Jesus says to his disciples, I didn't choose you. I, you didn't choose me, I chose you. you. You didn't come to me, I came to you first. And I did this, I appointed you to produce lasting fruit so that the Father will give you what you ask for using my name. And this is the command, this is the synthesis, this is the ultimate of the life of a follower of Jesus. Love each other. At the end of the day, that's what matters most. Now, first I want us to see from Jesus' life that Jesus, when it came to friendship, he was intentional. So Jesus modeled for us intentionality. Now, intentionality can be understood in multiple different ways. Intentionality is simply taking steps towards another human. And you might want to write this down in your notes. Proximity does not equal friendship. You can be listening to my voice seated next to somebody in a service and not be friends with them. Now, don't look at anybody right now, because that might be awkward. But you, you can actually live in a neighborhood next to somebody and not be in a friendship with that neighbor. Neighbor is not necessarily a friend. Now, we want neighbors to be friends, but it's not the same when it comes to the meaning of the word. And you can lay in the same bed as somebody and not be friends with them. So we have to be careful not to confuse proximity with friendship. There's a difference. Jesus actually took the first step towards people. But not only did Jesus take the first step towards people, Jesus takes ongoing steps towards us as humans. And the invitation from him when it comes to learning from Jesus as a Messiah or as a teacher, as the model for us apprenticing our life after him is to notice the intentionality in the life and ministry of Jesus, how he was constantly stepping towards people. Proximity does not equal friendship. And often the difference between proximity and friendship is intentionality. Now another way to think of this is to realize friendship is not the same as connection. If I were to ask you how many friends do you have, perhaps you might tell me how many Facebook friends you have, how many Instagram friends you have that you're insta-famous. But a friendship is not the same as a connection. We are more connected than ever globally, but more isolated in relationship than we've ever been. So we have to ask the question, what's the difference between friendship and connection? And often the difference between friendship and connection is intentionality. It's that step to move towards another person. And I thought of it like this. I was talking to a friend of mine who, he went to Catalina Island. And for those of you who are watching internationally, Catalina Island is an island off the coast of Southern California, about 22 miles. And when he got there, he got off the boat, and as he was getting off the boat, my friend looked at the radar that tracked the boat as it was moving from California out to Catalina Island. 
And what he noticed was there was a line that showed the boat's track, and it, it was this squiggly line that went back and forth. And so he looks at the captain, and he's like, that's weird. Like, did something happen? Did we, did we get off path? Why is the line so squiggly? And the captain made a brilliant point. He said, no, actually, a boat is constantly going off track. It's just the destination. We are constantly readjusting to the destination. Now, all of our relationships, if we're human, and we all are, all of our relationships are constantly going off track. But intentionality is redialing back in the purpose of the relationship. It's coming back to center. It's asking the question, where am I one degree off and bringing it back? You know, if you got on an airplane from New York to LA and you were one degree off, when it was time to land, you would land 40 miles outside of LA in the Pacific Ocean. So one degree can make all the difference. Intentionality is consistently saying, okay, in this relationship, in my marriage, in my parenting, in my friendships at my place of work or my connections there, how can I be more intentional? That intentionality involves asking good questions. You know, it's like you're driving to school with your kids and both of you are completely exhausted and tired and you're just waking up. But that one question, of an open-ended question can be the beginning of a dialogue, and my kids, oftentimes, they don't want to talk, and I get that, that's cool. One day you'll want to talk again and think I'm cool again. But, but that one question or that intentionality could open the door to deeper friendship, deeper connection. So question, who can you take a step towards this week? Another way of thinking about our steps in relationship is to ask the question, if this relationship were to continue on the same trajectory it's on right now, what would be the destination of this relationship five, 10, 15 years down the road from now? And would I be pleased with the destination? Would I be pleased where my marriage is going? Would I be pleased with my relationships at work? And coming back to intentionality and modeling after Jesus is so powerful. Now what intentionality does is it increases my awareness the more intentional I become, the more aware I am of what's happening around me. I stepped on the scale this summer, and I realized I had picked up a Saddleback 17 over the last year. <laughs> and I was like, oh man. Now if I stay on this same trajectory, play that sucker out five years from now. And so I was like, okay, I need to make some adjustments. So I hired a nutritionist, and we started meeting, and he said, hey, you're gonna write down everything you eat. I'm like, no, I'm not. I am not doing that, no. And he's like, well, if you, if you wanna get back on track, you need to write it down. Okay, so I oblige. So I started writing everything down. It's like, if you bite it, you write it. That's the theme. And, and it's painful. It's like, on the weekends sometimes during our services, I will pop these little mints in my mouth. I realized these mints were 25 calories a piece. So I put 15 in my mouth so my breath doesn't smell bad. And that's like an hour and a half walk. So I gotta go an hour and a half for these mints. It's like, okay, the awareness increases as intentionality happens. So simply in relationships, what happens is the more intentional we become, the more aware we become. Now Jesus was a master. He was a master of being aware 
of what was happening around him in the hearts of people. And a part of the way that Jesus did this was probing with questions. You know, one time Jesus was beginning his earthly ministry and John the Baptist is also starting a ministry. John the Baptist at the time had people that were coming to him and following him. He was baptizing them in the Jordan River. And then there was this moment where people stopped following John and started going to Jesus. And it would be kind of like if I had a guest speaker preach at Saddleback and then the next week y'all went to their church. I'd be like, what's up? And John the Baptist, when people started leaving him and going to Jesus, he made a statement. He said, he must increase and I must decrease. He must become greater and I must become less. A man can only receive what's been given to him from heaven. And actually, I'm not the bridegroom, I'm just the bridegroom's friend, and I'm here to point to the bridegroom. I'm here to celebrate the one who is coming, Jesus. Now, in the moment when Jesus would come, watch this. Jesus comes to John the Baptist, and it says the following day, John was again standing with two of his disciples, and Jesus walked by. John looked at him and declared, look, there is the Lamb of God. And when John's two disciples heard this, they followed Jesus. So they left John the Baptist and started following Jesus. Now, some of the questions that Jesus would ask people are mystifying to me. And Jesus looked around and saw them following, and he says, what do you want? Now, I don't know the tone that Jesus used. It probably wasn't quite like that. But it is, a, it is kind of an interesting question. What do, why, why are you following me? What do you want? What do you want, he asked them. And they replied, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come and see, he said. It was about four o'clock in the afternoon when they went with him to the place where he was staying and they remained with him the rest of the day. Now Jesus had to assess, did they want to come and see? Did they want to ultimately come and see and follow the one who was the Messiah? Did they want to actually give their lives to what he was building and he was assessing their desire. Now relationship, friendship, really does require us to be aware of desires. This is so important because you have desires, I have desires, the people right next to you and around you have desires, and those desires are playing into your friendship. See, every one of us, when we relate to one another, we bring to our interactions with one another are desires that flow from expectation. And expectation comes from a buildup or a compound effect over the course of our lives from every other relationship that we've had throughout the course of our whole life. So every need that was met and wasn't met, everything that happened to us, every experience, it combines in our lives and impacts the way that we relate to one another, one another today. And for a lot of us, there are things inside of us that never got transformed, so those things that never got transformed are getting transmitted in our relationships with one another. And those things that are getting transmitted are playing into our expectation. Now today, as I was praying and prepping for the message, this wasn't in yesterday, so I gotta believe it's for somebody today, that there are expectations that we carry in our relationships with one another and if we're not aware, what can happen is we start to pick up other people's expectations of us, not realizing that there is no obligation to expectation that is placed on us by another human being. This is important. Jesus assessed people's level of desire for friendship. 
But that level of desire also needs to be interpreted both through their desires and your desires or my desires. So I want to ask the question, what, 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 do, what do I want from the friendship? Not just what do they want, but what do I want? Now, I want to be aware of what they want, but I also want to be aware of what I want. Because oftentimes what can happen is we go through our lives and we are constantly placing on ourselves the weight of other people's expectations. So you can be doing a great job with your kids, but your kids are frustrated with you because you took away their technology time. You are not a horrible mom because you took away tech time because they slapped their sibling. You are not. Their expectation that they placed upon you, one of my friends was telling me recently, when their kids get upset when they draw a boundary with them, they just say to their kids, I, I would be really upset with myself too if I were you. I thought that was a brilliant line. I was like, ooh, I'm putting that in my back pocket, using that one later. But this is so important. It's also true from a child to a parent. Sometimes you're a child and your parents placing expectations upon you that are not realistic expectations. So I have to step back from the expectation. Am I making sense, hopefully, to somebody today? I have to step back from the expectation to wrestle through the reality that expectation does not mean obligation. So I want to ask the question, what, what does God want of me? What is God's desire for my life and my relationship? And have I picked up expectation in a friendship that God never intended for me to pick up? See, we as human beings all have to come to grips with the limitations that exist inside of us as humans. See, the more aware of expectation that I'm placing on myself or others are placing upon me, the more aware of that expectation it happens, the more I can step into my limitations when it comes to friendship and relationship. See, Jesus was very intentional in his relationships, but he was also aware of desire. This is another important line to write down. You cannot give somebody something that they don't want. So you may want something, but they don't want it. So if you want a friendship that they don't want and their hands closed, you can't shake hands with a closed hand. You can fist bump a closed hand, but you can't shake a closed hand. And so if you want something that they don't want, the awareness is so important. Another important thing to write down, I know I got a lot of content today and I've drank a lot of coffee up until this point, so <laughs> I got a lot of energy too. But another important component is that transaction is not the same as relationship. Transaction does not equal friendship. We live in a culture that is so programmed around transaction. This used to be the case. We lived in the Bay Area for 15 years, and this used to be the case. And I won't name any companies because maybe you've worked there before, but they'll put a ping pong table in the company, and they will serve breakfast, lunch, and dinner. And they will say, come to work and get community. Come play ping pong. Come play cornhole. Come enjoy free food at your place of work. Build community and friendship with those that you work. But if you don't do a good job, we'll fire you. And you won't have friends anymore. And you'll be back to isolation and loneliness. That's not friendship. That's transaction. Let's have some intellectual integrity about what it is. Let's just call it what it is. You pay me to do a job. And maybe we'll be friends while we work together. But this is not community without commitment. There has to be a level of commitment. And you can't just say, well, just because you didn't give me what I need, the friendship's over. I mean, this is interesting. On Friday night, people can hook up on Tinder 
and get what they want, get their needs met. By the way, that is not a need, okay? There's nobody who's ever died because they didn't have sex. I'm just saying, okay? That was PG-13. We also have a children's ministry, if you didn't know about that. But my point is, transaction, transaction, meet a need, apparently, meet a need on a Friday night, but if you don't meet the need, then the relationship's over. That was not a relationship, that was a transaction. That's why God designed marriage to be in a covenantal relationship between a man and a woman. Because what's happening in that covenantal relationship, the intimacy that is forming in commitment, there are times when you are down as a spouse. There are times where it's hard. There are times where you are persevering. And the reason why you say for sickness and in health, for better or for worse, is because that covenant is drawing you together and forming you and shaping you to become a person that you never would have been without a covenantal commitment. That transaction is not the same as relationship. There's a commitment that is involved with it. So this is why assessing desire, like before you get married, you should say, do you want a covenant together for the rest of our lives for sickness or health? Do you want it? And that desire is so important to assess. That desire also increases awareness of limitation. And Jesus was aware of his own limitation. That's why it's so important in a friendship to be selective. This is why it's good to only have one spouse. Be selective. Because you weren't designed to live a limitless life. You are a limited being. You and I are finite humans. You grow and you stop growing, hopefully. You, you stop growing and there are limitations and the limitations of these hands and the limitations of this mind and this finite body communicate to me that I am not God. I serve the God who is limitless, but I am limited. I am a limited being. Can we say that together? I am a limited being. I am limited, I am finite, and therefore I have to be selective. I cannot have an infinite number of relationships as much as I would love to. I'm an extrovert, I like to talk, I can talk way too much. That's why I do it for my calling. I like to talk. But, but I am finite. And at the end of the day, I have to stop talking. And at the end of the day, I cannot have a limitless number of friendships. And Jesus, when he was here, modeled this. Now watch this. Luke 10 says, after this, the Lord appointed 72. Everybody say 72. Okay, let's try it one more time. 72 others and sent them two by two ahead of him into every town and place where he was about to go. So Jesus sent the 72. Now notice there was another group. He appointed 12. Everybody say 12. 12. So he appointed 12 that they might be with him. So underline that line, they might be with him. Those words are important. He, he found 12 that they might be with him, and then he would send them out to be apostles and to preach. Now, he invested deeper in the 12. But I want you to notice, in addition to the 12, inside of that, there was a small group that was even smaller than the 12. And in the moment when our Lord, when Jesus was about to go to a cross for our sins, when he was facing the cup of suffering 
that was in front of him. Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane. He's praying to his heavenly Father, and he is asking his Father, if there's any other way for this cup of suffering to pass from me, let it be so. But not my will, your will be done. And in the moment where Jesus is crying out to his Father, notice in addition to his Father, right next to him, it says in verse 33 of Mark 14, he took Peter, James, and John along with him. And he began to be deeply distressed and troubled, and he said, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. My soul is overwhelmed. And he said to them, stay here and keep watch. Now notice he was relying on friends in his moment of great need. Jesus loved the crowds, but he chose a few close friends. He loved the crowds, but he chose a few people that he could rely upon in his moment of need. And our Lord so beautifully models for us life in a small group, life in a limited fashion. You are not limitless, you are limited. You are a finite being. This is why it's so important to invest deeply, strategically in our relationships. This is, if I might say, why small groups are so important. To have a group of friends, four, six, eight, 10, 12, that you can do life with in a circle. Something happens in circles that doesn't happen in rows. Now we love rows at church, we're grateful for crowds. It's great to be together and celebrate. There are things that happen on weekends and big services that don't happen in smaller community, but there's a depth of intimacy. There's a depth of friendship that can only come in smaller community. And the intentionality, I wanna encourage you of stepping into community to get into a small group, to find your friends, your tribe, the place where you belong to be with other people has the power to change your life. You need a few close friends and small groups are one of the best ways to find friendship and form friendship and go deeper in life. Jesus did this. Jesus had a small group. Jesus had a group of people that he did life with. And in just a few moments, I'm gonna talk to you about how you can step forward into a group. But I want for just a moment before I go there, I want to acknowledge, because some of you are living your life in relationships as though you have no limitations. Embracing my limitation and relational limits is an act of love. When I embrace my finite nature as a human being, it's an act of love. See this limitless way that we live our lives? We, we look at social media and we see other people who seem to have friendships and spend all of their life doing amazing things, I, I've, I've almost commented on certain friends, or I shouldn't say friends, people I'm connected to via social media. I've almost commented before, the hashtag of your social media should be my amazing life. Everything about it is amazing. It's amazing. And, and there are people who seemingly live limitless lives, and we embrace the reality of our own limitations, but embracing our limitations is an act of love. And I was, I was so struck this morning as I was praying for you. I was so struck by Jesus' phrase to his disciples when he would say to them, it's better for you if I go. 
Now, if you're a disciple, could you imagine after spending three years with Jesus, you're like, there's no way it's better for, you, for me if you go, Jesus. Like, you're Jesus. You're supposed to be here with me. I, I, I like you. I want to spend time with you. But Jesus is making a statement. He is saying, actually, when I go, I will send the Spirit who will come without limit. So the Spirit of the living God is available in limitless proportions to the children of God. Woo! That's, that's wild. Now, sometimes we don't make space, it's important, sometimes we don't make space for the Spirit of God in our relationships. So some of us, it might be prime time, that was a little Deion Sanders quote for you, it might be prime time to say to some friends in our lives, it's better for you if I go. It's, it's, it's better for you because I need to make space in your life for God to do what only God can do. Now, I'm not saying this about your spouse. I'm not saying on the way home to your wife, you say it's better for you if I go. No. But there are, there are oftentimes people in friendship can try to make you a God. And we can take on this Messiah complex and we can fail to recognize we've, we have to leave space in our relationships for God to work. So there's a place that only God can fulfill. And I wonder in some of your relationships if the step for you is to realize the places in your life where you are over-functioning in the relationship to let God be God. Be their friend, but let God be God. In some friendships, you might need to say, okay, you're in the 72, but you're not in the three. Now, it would be a weird question to ask, am I in your three? But to really assess, who are my three? Who are my 12? Who are my 72? And to live with freedom, to say, God, you made me as a finite being. I want to love everybody I'm in front of. I want to be kind to those around me. But I am limited, and I want to invest my life deeply where you want me to invest my life deeply. And if there's nothing else you hear, if there's nothing else that you do as a result of my message today, I want to invite you to get into a small group. I want to invite you at the end of our service to go to the patio, the Connection Center, and to step out there and to get connected. Our team has worked so hard to make it as easy as possible to put the cookies on the bottom shelf for us so that we can get into groups. And they put together this awesome little book called Rediscovering the Lost Art of Friendship. In it, it will track with all the messages. We wrote this together. The team wrote this with the messages. So all of it will work together to help what we talk about here go deeper. But the way to get one of these is to get connected into a small group. You can go to the Connection Center afterwards. You can take that step. You can also do it digitally, but I wanna encourage you, don't miss the opportunity today to get into a group. As your pastor, I would say to you, I love you. I want you to experience the fullness of life that God has created you for, and it can only happen in the context of community. Today, if you're not ready, to get into a group and you're like, oh, I'm worried about what people think about me. I might get into the wrong group. It's okay. Just if it's a bad group, just don't go again. Find another group. I won't tell anybody that you did it. If, if you get into a group and you're like, ah, I, I, I'm not sure 
I, I don't know people, it's gonna be weird. You can start a group yourself. You don't have to have religious prequalifications. If you're kind, if you can smile, if you can talk about what we talk about here and have some dialogue and just love on people, you can host a group. And today you can take that step to get in community with other people. Now before we wrap up, I have one story I wanna tell you. Stacy and I, uh, as we have been here for 14 months, we've been so grateful for the way that this community has loved us and loved our family so well. It's, it's been a beautiful thing. And in the last year, we've developed some good friendships with people. Uh, I'm, I'm saying all that because last night at our Saturday service, after I told this story, somebody came to me and said, Pastor, I'm praying for one friend for you. Praying for one friend. And um, I say that because God's blessed me with one friend. Um, but this story is so important because we had, at our 20th anniversary, we had a group of friends come over our house and afterwards, uh, when all of our friends had left, they were all our friends that we had built friendships with over the last year, there was a level of sadness and grief for Stacy and I. And a part of the reason why there was grief is because when we moved here from the church that we had pastored for 14 years, we had some deep friendships of people that we had done life with for over a decade. And there's a kind of community that you experience in, in doing life over the long haul together. Like we, we would do these monthly gatherings and our kids loved each other and they're all about the same age and there was a grief and a sadness. And even to look out at this group of people that we love so deeply and care about, but to be like, these are all new friendships. There, there's even kind of a void that we felt in that moment. And again, I'm, I'm sharing that story with you out of vulnerability, not so you feel sorry for me, but just to say, I know community is hard. I know relationships are difficult. And there are times where there's pain. There, there are people in your life that have let you down that you thought they were gonna come through for you. And some of you are on the back end of a marriage that didn't work out the way you thought it would. And some of you have deep pain from your relationship with your parents or with your kids. And some of you have walked through horrendous circumstances at your place of work. And some of you as students are dealing with bullying and lots of struggle at your school. And there's a sorrow that we carry in this world without relationships. You know, friendship is the best part of life and sometimes it's the worst part of life. And there are boxes of Kleenexes that we go through, crying out and tears that flow from our face and brokenness that we experience in relationship. And there's probably a part of you that you've tried over and over again and you're like, is it really worth it? Like, is it worth the pain? Is it worth the heartache? And I would say to you today that the invitation from God is the invitation into a different kind of community than we can experience anywhere else in the world. In fact, Jesus, he was the ultimate example for us of friendship, but the way that he displayed this friendship and this love for us was way beyond transaction. It was way beyond what we could do for him. And John, who labeled himself the disciple that Jesus loved, would write in 1 John chapter 4, verse 7, he would say, Dear friends, dear friends, let us continue to love one another, for love comes from God. Anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God. But anyone who does not love 
does not know God, for God is love. And God showed us how much he loved us by sending his one and only son into the world so that we might have eternal life through him. This is real love. This is true love. This is the perfect love that we all are longing for. This is real love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son. He initiated and came to us and he sent him as an atoning sacrifice to take away our sins on a cross. So dear friends, John says, dear friends, since God poured out his love on us that much, we surely ought to love one another. And there's this picture that John is painting for us of a kind of community that's not based on transaction and not simply based on proximity and not based on convenience, but it's based on real love that at the center of our community, at the center of the story of the Bible is a friend. It's a friend that hung on a cross out of love for us. And the invitation is that in friendship with him, the more that we encounter the truest, kindest, most loving friend, the more we can become the kind of friends that this world needs. And there's this picture of the church, the body of Christ, the bride, the family of God that is different, that is called out by God to be an example of love to the world. And when we think about heaven and we look at heaven, heaven is not simply this picture of going to heaven for us just to be with God. It's for those of us who follow Jesus to be with each other for all eternity. And we'll get to be in friendship without cell phones. We'll get to be in friendship without loss and without pain. There'll be relationships between parents and kids with not all the brokenness and the heartache. There'll be no more tears and no more sorrow. But in this moment, the invitation from God is to experience a glimpse or a taste of that glory divine. And there are these moments when you're watching a sunset with a spouse or you're holding a child looking into their face or you're seated over a cup of coffee with a friend or your hand is reached out in a small group and you're praying over somebody that is a glimpse of heaven on earth that as Jesus said, may your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We get to experience heaven today in community with one another, not without pain, not without loss, not without sorrow, but it is so worth it. Y'all have seen that grumpy old man, right? That old guy that's 90 years old and cantankerous and he gets more bitter as he gets older. It doesn't have to be that way with you. You can grow better over time to become more and more like Jesus and to have the richness of life that comes from community with one another, to be in your 80s and 90s and experience community. But it takes a step, it takes intentionality, it takes awareness, and it takes a willingness to persevere through the heartache, to take one step forward. So my invitation, my challenge, my encouragement to you is to say, I wanna keep stepping forward into this lost art of friendship and let Jesus be my teacher. Let Jesus be my guide, the truest, most wonderful friend there has ever been. And the more I know Jesus, the more I can be a friend to those around me. 
Would you step forward today to say, God, help me be a friend and help me experience friendship the way you intended it to be. Let's pray together. Father, thank you today that you give us life through you, friendship with you. Thank you for this picture of family that comes and the bride that we are of yours, that you're the bridegroom, we get to be the bride, we're the family of God, and there's an invitation for more, that we were made for more, we were made for you and to do life together. And God, in all the brokenness, and all the pain, and all the sorrow, help us be the kind of people that step forward to be intentional in our relationships. Thank you that you're redeeming what's lost, you're changing what's broken, you're transforming the things that are not as though they should be. And you're calling us upward. You're calling us onward. And I pray that your kingdom would come and your will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. And let this be so in our friendships with each other. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this weekend message from Saddleback Church. If you like this, please consider leaving a rating or review for this podcast. The Saddleback Church Weekend Message Podcast is a part of the Saddleback family of podcasts. Visit saddleback.com slash podcasts or search for Saddleback Church in your favorite podcasting app to see more great podcasts from Saddleback. For more Weekend Message resources, visit saddleback.com slash message resources.